Hi, I'm Mandy. I'm Lucy. And I'm Mickey. Welcome to Catcall, the feminist podcast. All right, you three, two, one, Geronimo. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Catcall with me, Andy. And me, Lucy. Um, last week, we forgot to tell you guys about uh, our email address, where you can just uh, send us bad comments, insult us, or uh, send us really nice comments and say how much you love us, or just your stories. Um, also, if you could please like, share, and comment on SoundCloud, that'd be really, really helpful. Um, so for our first um, sto- news story today, it's about a bake sale in Australia. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that, Lucy? Yeah, sure. So um, I read about this the other day. Uh, it was a Guardian article, and it was it's basically a thing that's apparently done quite a lot now where um, you can hold a bake sale and you can, at the same time as eating cake, you get to, like, show the gender pay gap as well. It's really cool. <laughs> um, so you basically do this by selling cakes at different prices depending on how much that person um, might get paid in real life so for example um the men and women i think it was like it was one dollar for a man to buy one and then the women paid slightly less and then the sort of aftermath of this was just that there was so much um uh like sort of backlash yeah, yeah huge huge backlash um and it, a lot of people say that actually this backlash has sort of proved that we still need um, st- we still need it. But yeah, so some of the things that were posted up was like um, like pictures of women from um, in domestic violence situations with like signs that say women deserve equal rights and left. So just this really sort of very um, macho and yeah, just I think obviously people that, um, that I think it was interesting that actually. The event people that were organising it said no one actually showed up in person. So it wasn't, it was a case that a lot of this, as often it is, was all done online. So there was a lot of horrible things sent to people online. So keyboard warriors. Oh, yeah. I can't read that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so basically the backlash, um, it caused a huge international, like, outroar. And it just, like, as you said, like, proved how much we still need feminism. Especially since, like, some of the comments were like, I want to rape these feminist cunts with their fucking baked goods, which is one of my personal favourites. Um, and it just goes to show, and that was in uh, Australia, Queensland University, Australia, I think. Yeah. Um, Mickey's just giving me the thumbs up, so we're not getting angry emails about that. Um, and it was, yeah, obviously it would be Australian guys um, who just like turned around and completely flipped out about having to pay the whole price of the one dollar um, for the cupcake, and it was just like so boring that they apparently couldn't. I think I don't know about it being all Australian guys. I'm sure that <laughs> I, I think I think that's something that it's worth sort of mentioning is that I think it's a very specific group of people, um, and I, I think we're, we're assuming that it's all men. But if we make that assumption, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that it's men. Who are these men? And if they aren't the kind of men that would actually show up in person at an event like this, then um, at risk of being now lambasted by the feminist community, I think that these are people that are 
very probably very vulnerable and probably very scared and very intimidated by what they think feminism is. And I think yeah. that although I massively disagree with the things that they were saying and I wouldn't condone that, I think that it's these things happen when men feel threatened and when they don't feel like they are they have a place at the table. Yeah. And that's not that's just that's just the situation I think because yeah. I think that's something that needs sort of working out because it's so easy just to say, this is why we need feminism. We need more feminists. We need more people to be creating spaces where um, men may be, you know, we're not making it clear enough that men are welcome here. Um, and I just think that's the danger is that these yeah. people just end up feeling more and more alienated. And the only place where they feel like they have any sort of sense of like power yeah. back is to say these awful, awful things to women I just don't think that, I just think that it just proves that we not only need feminism, we need to have a form of feminism that means that these people feel invited and they understand that it's something that yeah. would benefit them. Like, they just clearly do not understand what feminism is. Yeah, and I think they also don't understand that they are also victims of, like, the patriarchy because they are raised um, with those uh, kind of... Um, People want men to like, or like the society, society in the society. We want men to kind of, um, you know, pay for the family and be there for the family. And now feminism is makes women take a new role in society. Also, so obviously that shatters men's um, concept conception of what their place is in society. And I think it's very very scary. Um, so I think that kind of provokes those kind of things. And I think that. Um, Especially sometimes on Twitter, feminism isn't very, um, isn't represented as how I practice feminism. You've got a lot of feminists who go in the extremes um, and who say all men are bad and all men do this and all men do that, which I don't think is the case because a lot of men are very understanding of feminism um, today and some aren't because they have, I think, in my personal opinion, uh, because they just don't understand what truly it is and that it can help them too if only they'd um, they'd uh, take part of the movement too. Because I think women can't speak for men. I think women can't speak for the men's problem, like divorce. Women mostly get the children in the divorce, um, in divorce cases, because uh, even though sometimes men are more apt to look after the child, because women are seen as like the, you know, child, the carer for the kids. Yeah, I think a lot of the you things, know? like, say so there's a lot, there's like three things there I completely agree with. So there's a lot of stereotypes at play. There's a lot of like, so I think, and there's a lot of fear. Yeah. And I think on both sides, that is, and there's a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. So, and I get the same thing as you when I go on Twitter. I've had so many conversations about <laughs> um, things like this where it's like, um, yeah, where it's just like, actually, we have such different um, perceptions of what feminism is when I'm having these conversations with people. Um but yeah, I mean, just sort of talking about how you can think one thing's the norm and actually it's very, very different. There's a news story that came out um, this week, which was um, not once but twice yeah. um, women in Northern Ireland are being um, are going to be punished for, um, for having an abortion. And that's just so shocking living in the UK. You always, I always, I'm so guilty of just forgetting that, actually it happens it still happens it's just and and it's just not spoken about i don't feel enough 
Yeah. Luckily, the wonderful Anne Perkins does. <laughs> she's written um, an article about it in the Guardian. Um, but I mean, do you want to do you want to tell me a bit more about the story? Yeah. Um, basically, it's two women in Northern Ireland. One was a mother getting pills for her um, uh, for her uh, daughter to get an abortion to induce an abortion. And uh, the other case was a 19-year-old woman who um, decided to buy pills to induce an, an abortion. And what shocked me in both cases was like this kind of um, Eastern Germany uh, studsy kind of uh, rhetoric where in both cases uh, it was a person that they trusted that gave them up to the authorities, which for me makes it so much worse in the case of the 19-year-old, um, they called her a woman, but it's still, like, a girl in a lot of ways, I'd say. Um, her roommate told the police about it. And I find it so much more shocking that another woman... I uh, actually don't know if it's a woman or a man. Like, I'm just one actually, of her flatmates. Just one of her it? flatmates yeah. in general. Um, I think with, that's the thing, yeah. is that it's so shocking to us because it's just an entirely different culture. And I think it has a lot to do with... Um, religion has a lot to do with ingrained like um, social and cultural norms that we just don't um, I mean you're 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 French I'm English and we I think have got um, I don't know culturally yeah abortion is something that we've grown up understanding and knowing that it's It's available to us it's available and also it's something that's treated as a choice and if someone has an abortion then you're instinct tends to be are you okay yeah it's not i'm going to go to police but then it's that thing of like the questions need to be asked well then why why is that the case because it's not um it's not normal to us but again it's that thing of like yes we're angry yes we don't think this is right but why where is this coming from like culturally and 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 at what point do you say I'm going to impose on your religion, your yeah. religious freedom and your like um, your cultural beliefs because I and my culture say that this is what you're doing is incorrect. I mean, we're so, the thing is with Northern Ireland is that we're so similar in so many ways. Um, we probably believe that the same beauty standards and the same um, culture in general, we don't have... Probably not the same religious. Uh, I don't know how it is in England, um, but we're quite secular, I'd yeah. say, in England. But That's I, what I understood too. I, I really hope that we live to see um, abortion law changed yeah. in, in Northern Ireland. But I think as a society, we also think it's like less outrageous when it happens elsewhere in like some African, deep, dark African country with like female genital mutilation is okay and we're like okay it happens over there but not next door to us so I think that as a society we kind of also turn a blind eye to that because they're so similar to us and it kind of seems so shocking the the really interesting thing that that one of these articles was saying was about how basically because British politicians um, and and like Westminster know that they're not going to necessarily get um, more power by addressing issues in Northern Ireland. Um, yeah. That is a no-go area for them to gain more seats, more bums on seats. Yeah. That um, it, That's one of the main reasons why no one is willing to step up and say, we need to get a bill through yeah. Parliament, we need to change the law, we need to turn it into an act, we need to get that done now. It's absolutely inhumane. Like, yeah. if you look... I mean, I think it should be... I really do feel like it should be a human, li- a human right. As a woman, you should have the choice. And particularly when 
um, in in circumstances such as having been raped. I just cannot understand yeah. why the empathy is not there for a woman in that position not to be permitted by their religion. Um, yeah, and so a lot of people say, oh, well, it's fine because actually, you know, if, you, if you're in Ireland, it's perfectly legal. Uh, in Northern Ireland, it's perfectly legal for you to um, display leaflets um, and ferry times for coming over to um, the UK to have this Someone done. But this, well, this woman couldn't. This yeah. woman couldn't afford that. So then it's that thing, you monetize it and you politicize it. You basically say, OK, well, if you've got the money, then you're allowed to go and have an abortion. If you don't have the money, then I'm sorry, you're going to go to jail. And that's just disgusting yeah and I understand it's a clash of cultures and I understand that it's a bigger thing than just saying that's evil we need to change it but we do need to change it we need to change it in our lifetime and like what makes it worse is like you don't only like to get an abortion in Ireland there were 16 abortions last year I think um and to get an abortion there there needs to be like a health reason like life-threatening health reason but that doesn't include, um, basically, if your child will not live through um, childhood, you still need to go through that pregnancy. So yeah. even though you know your child is doomed, um, you need to go through that pregnancy. Or, or even and if that, you're carrying a, a stillborn. So yeah. it's not... And it, that kind yeah. of makes the trauma it must inflict on a woman. I think like going through abortion is never easy. That's what it makes me laugh when people say, like, oh, they're going to treat abortion like a... You know, sexual like um, a sexual disease or something. No, like uh, a reproductive system, like you know, like the oh, implant okay. or yeah, like yeah, a yeah, yeah, They're yeah. going to use abortion like that. Well, We're just stupid. Yeah, well, my mum. We had her on last week, Lorna yeah. Cook. She works quite often with women who are very old and very vulnerable, and she says that so many of the conversations that she has with people when they're at the very last stages of mental capacity are, "Did you know I had an abortion once?" And that's yeah. all they can focus on. Abortion is not something that people do lightly. Yeah. It's never going to be something you do lightly. But I think it's so much easier than, like, going through the trauma of, like, going through a pregnancy where you know the kid is either already dead and you have to, like, carry a dead body inside of you for nine months. Imagine the trauma. And it's, like, mostly white men who don't have to go through pregnancies who decides those things. And they've... I mean, who gives them the right? They didn't even talk to... I wonder what they, their wives or their mothers what, say. What do we do, though? Like, how do we change it from, like, City University, London? Yeah. That's where I get stuck because it's like, well, we can talk about it, but how do we actually change that? Why yeah. Why isn't there a bill going through Parliament now? I don't, I don't yeah. know. I think we need politicians who care less about the seats they will lose and more about the people they represent. Yeah. You know? And I think that needs to happen in Ireland as well as here. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. agree. Sorry, silence. There's there's just been silence on the airwaves there um, because I. uh, So (laughs) just I'll do it. Jeremy Corbyn. So just a really for for a bit of context for anyone listening. We're in a studio, a radio studio, and I'm on one side of the panel, (laughs) and Lucy and Andy are on the other side, and I can type onto a screen that they can see, but they can't see it very well because it's very small. <laughs> so earlier you heard Lucy go a bit confused and go, I can't, I can't see that. <laughs> and that was because I typed something very tiny. Which I now know said international. I can't read international from long distance, apparently. Apparently that's Lucy's downfall. She's like Spider-Man and Kryptonite. <laughs> it's not Spider-Man. It's Superman. 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 I'm so sorry, guys. Anyway, um, so what I just typed was Jeremy Corbyn. 
Apparently, I'm just going to join in, guys. I'm join in. Join in. Yeah. Join in. Might as well. Yeah, why not? Hi. Um, so what I typed... Oh, Mickey. Hi, I'm Mickey, by the way. <laughs> um, you're going to hear me in a bit. Um, yeah, what I, what I typed was Jeremy Corbyn, because you've just talked about politicians who would represent the people instead of the votes. And I know I'm probably being naive, but I want him to be that person Hasn't so he said much. something about doing something with the Northern Ireland law as well? I don't know. I, I think he sure. has. You've got the computer. I have got the computer. Let's Should we have a little look? Let's have yeah. a little have look. A little That's look. why I kind of didn't say anything, because like, I was like, should I say something about him and abortion? Because I'm not sure I'm he pre- said anything. I, I think it. he might have. I could it's be something wrong. he would say something like he would say something about that. So but. Jeremy Corbyn, Northern Ireland. What I've done, guys, is I've just typed Jeremy Corbyn and Abortion. expected the <laughs> <laughs> mixed principles on life issues. Mm. Oh no, there we go. Labour's Jeremy Corbyn vows to bring abortion. I've clicked on the wrong. I've clicked on the wrong article, guys. There we go. Labour's Jeremy Corbyn vows to bring abortion and same-sex marriage to Northern Ireland as victims blast refusal to condemn IRA terror. Oh, yeah, this was in the whole thing where everyone was like, yeah. oh, no, you can't vote for Jeremy Corbyn because he's a terrorist. Uh, they're so quick to, like, oh, they hate hit him. on him. They hate him because he, he represents everything they're scared of. He, yeah. I say they, we're all journalists, so I'm talking <laughs> about us. But, but he, he did. He said a thing about um, abortions in, in Northern Ireland. So... Mm. Actually, I should have remembered that when you wrote Jeremy Corbyn and launched off into a tirade of things. But you didn't. No, I didn't. And that's no. fine. Yeah. That's fine. We can either cut it or leave it. We'll I see. Think, I think let's just leave <laughs> it. Let's leave yeah. it. Might this as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do we want to talk about next? I, so Andy's had a sad. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a sad. Um, so <laughs> um, today, uh, my boyfriend and I, of two years, broke up. Um, well, like, actually, yesterday evening, so it's still quite fresh. I was tempted to just sit this out and let Mickey debate um, I'm glad you didn't. Us. Mm, yeah. Um, but I think that's um, our case, like, me and my now ex-boyfriend, um, is very interesting and could... Um, I mean, when we hear about... When we talk about breakups, we usually think about a huge fight and sort of hating each other and after two years of being together, and that's not the case here. And I think the kind of breakup that happened to me and Dan, um, so now ex-boyfriend, is that it kind of just fizzled out uh, after a while. Um, So we were, for a year and a half, we were like best of friends and lovers. And at some point, I don't actually know when, it just kind of like hit us one day. Um, Well... The lover component and uh, kind of just disappeared. Um, and we had been, well, we stayed together for a long, long time and we've got pretty busy lives. Um, so we kind of just stayed and in my mind it was like, okay, we'll kind of regroup at some point and just like huddle up and like um, talk about this. And um, we're, I'm obviously going like through my dissertation right now, uh, university, um, I've got you know, the podcast going on, I write. So it's like a pretty busy, busy time. And he's got his full-time job. So, um, so it's pretty busy for both of us. Um, and then last night we had a few conversations about this. We had two conversations about this, but decided not to do anything about it. Um, and it kind of dragged along for a really long time. And I think we were both miserable with hindsight. I think it was like, we're kind of hoping it'd get better with time, and it's just not the case. Like, 
Um, and yesterday he kind of was just lying down to bed and just, um, I kind of turned around, I was like, are you okay? Not really expecting anything. Kind of just turned around and said like, listen, like not in those words, but I'm going to make a long story, story very short for the benefit of the podcast. Um, basically he was saying that um, we'd been friends for a very long time and not like boyfriend and girlfriend or like partners. Um, as we had been, and I was like, yes, but, you know, we can fix this, is my, like, very naive optimism. Um, and then he was saying that he didn't know what to do, he didn't know what to do, so I kind of retook control to break up, because I was like, okay, this is not happening, he's not breaking up with me, um, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I was like, okay, well, um, since you don't really know what to do, obviously, you're not sure you want to stay with me, um, so I think that's very telling, and I think he was being very nice, and not wanting to you know, break my heart. So I was just like, well, we should probably break up now because I've got my exams coming. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was like, it was hurts. Um, and now I'm feeling pretty numb. Um, Mickey brought me for a beer before. I did. Um, so I kind of lost myself a bit there. I'm very sorry. Um, but I think, um, long story short, to the very, f- to our 17 listeners out there, um, <laughs> you know, don't stay in a relationship because you think it's going to get better. It's like, it's not going to get better. Like, let's not be naive. (laughs) Or the the way that we discussed (laughs) it earlier, which was much more positive than that, which was you don't have to stay in a relationship because you feel like that's what you're worth. That's what we discussed earlier. And I think what Andy's done is very very dark. (laughs) It's just come super dark, but that's fine. I'm very sorry for that, guys. I was very positive earlier. I think it's like one beer later and I'm just like, it's dark end. I think that happens when you're good. Like, I've never been through... a really big breakup but um have fallen wildly in love um or thought it was and it's it, it wasn't sort of thing and yeah. had that crushing thing of like ah oh. and I think that it's always um a good thing to learn to let go yeah. and I think that as well the rapid cycling thing is something that you you'll come to be a bit of a master of because you will go through the this is a really positive thing I'm <laughs> you know, making a change for myself and then you'll go through the, oh my God, this is horrible, this is really painful, I don't know, like, what do I do? But I think in times like that, this is so cliched of me, but, like, turn to your female, not just female friends, guy friends, but, like, for me, it's female friends that have been through a a similar situation as you've been through, which I think it's really good that you've come on and spoken about it now. And it's kind of the time where it kind of hits home when you kind of start talking about it. Like, I know this morning, we talked about it late last night, um, he had to work today, so I don't know why he did that last night. But um, I think it was kind of... I don't think he was expecting that outcome. Did it um, feel cathartic at all, or do you think that's still to come? I mean, I think it's still to come. Today I'm feeling pretty numb. Uh, I've got heart palpitations, and yesterday I read an article before that whole, uh, the whole shenanigans. Um, I read an article that apparently break heart... Uh, like, heartbreak... Break heart... Oh, heartbreak can kill, um, because it gives you, like, weird heart palpitations. So now... Um, I'm also I'm going through hurts and I also also think I'm going to die. You're not gonna die. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. I'm going to die, people. Oh, um, you can come no. and live in. You can come and live in my house. Yeah, um, and it was. Really, I will feed you. Yeah, and I think the moment where it really hit home was well, like it still hasn't really, but um, the first moment where I kind of really like, was like, okay, well, this is obviously not getting better, um, was when his brother came in today because every Friday he comes of. Um, hyphen uh he's he listens to a podcast um he kind of comes every friday stays a weekend with us and like we have takeaways and like go to the cinemas and like do shit like all the three of us and he's like he's a friend of mine um as well as being my boyfriend's brother 
Um, so he came in today. Dan didn't tell him anything. Oh, gosh. Um, and so I sent a text to Dan saying, like, did you tell your brother? Because, like, he's here. Um, do you think it's not savable then? It's not something that you do want to be like, look, there's things we could do. This is what we need to do. Well, I think it's like, we didn't really discuss like the details of like the breakup. We still have to. We still have. We still live together. Basically, yeah. he lives with me. Um, so I'm going to go home after this. I'm going to see both Dan, uh, who I broke with yesterday, and Finn. Um, and we're gonna take takeouts, and we're gonna try to like make this normal for the sake of his brother. Okay. Um, so it's gonna be very complicated for the next few weeks. I don't think I'm going to get like really like through it until like he moves out. Uh, I discussed it with him yesterday, and I said, like, listen, if we break up, you're not staying here for like a very long time. Either I go, either, either I go, or you go. But we didn't really discuss the details. This is still to come. Um, but like, where, really, when I told his brother was when like the first time I cried, like. Obviously, I cried yesterday when we were talking about this, but I was just like, <laughs> just like, you know, yeah. So it was pretty awful just, you know, crying in front of his brother. And he was like, fuck, Andy. Because I couldn't get, like, a word through. Uh, and he was just really confused and sitting there. And I was just like, um, so you, so me and your brother broke up. So it's, it's, it's a just... child. I mean, and I'm sure he's lovely, but it's like it's like having to explain a divorce to a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of thing. And he's mm-hmm. going he's going back to New Zealand actually, uh, Dan's brother. Um, so and he told me like, you know, jokingly like, why didn't you wait for me to leave? Oh. Um, was it was it a joke? In, it was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He was staying this afternoon, like yeah. just cheering, trying to tre- trying to cheer me up. Um, and I was being really positive until now, actually. I, I went really dark. That's fine, mate. You can do whatever you want. You're here with your lovely feminist... Catcallers. Yeah. Catcallers. Talking of being a feminist and sticking up for... Yeah, Mickey, you've got a good story. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a story. It's, I wouldn't say it's a good story. I'd say I'm... Yeah. It's a story it's that's a story. good in terms of we can talk about these and, things. Yeah, and relates to this quite a lot. So I was in a um, shop... I was in a shop. I struggled to find that word. I was in a shop and I was buying my partner a chocolate bar because that's, you know, that's, that's what, what you I do. do. That's what I do. And I was in there, I was buying my chocolate bar and the person in front of me was this this man and he had his arm around this, uh, I'm going to say woman because I think it adds intrigue. And this woman, <laughs> and I was like, fine, couple, buying chocolate or wine, whatever, don't really mind, just going to do my own thing. I'm digressing. And then I looked up again and this man was, um, he was kissing this girl on the cheek. And then he went, sorry, darling, what's your name again? And I was like, what a, what a knobhead. Like, who does that? And then he was like, he turned to the shopkeeper who was about to sell them vodka. So I don't know why he did this. But he was like, isn't she a lovely 17-year-old? Isn't she a lovely 17-year-old? Oh my God, she's so gorgeous. And then he turned back to her and he was like, mate, you've got fucking gorgeous tits. And I was like, oh! <laughs> and this girl, I'm now referring to her as a girl because she was, like, she must have been about 15, was standing there. She didn't say a single thing. Um, oh, no, she did. She said her name. I'm not going to say now. But she said her name. Um, and that was all she said. And... Every single part of me, no, clearly not every single part. There was clearly one part of me that did not want to do this. I was thinking, like, he's a prick, he's a prick, he's a prick, and you're a massive feminist, and you go on marches to stop this kind of thing, and you went to court to stop this kind of thing. Fucking stand up for this girl. Maybe she can stand up for herself, but I didn't know if she could or not. Like, I should have stood up for her, and I didn't. And that makes me just, like, curl up inside and go... Ugh. I think that's actually a thing that happens a lot in like big cities because you're scared. Like I know sometimes when I hear stuff like that, I just want to turn around and 
just say something, but at the same time, you don't know what kind of individual that is. If he's, mm. you know, so like I've got this very country girl um, view of the big city where I'm going to get stabbed if I say anything bad to a person. And so, like, I don't know if that's the same for you because obviously, yeah, I don't know if it I is. I I think I I think I can understand what happened there. I can imagine myself doing the same thing. I don't think for me it would have been fear actually. I think. I mean, there's there's this saying that if you the 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 only two things that hold you back from doing something are fear or laziness. And I wonder, for me, I'm not putting this onto you at all, Mickey. But like for me, I wouldn't have been scared to say anything. I would have maybe thought if I have this conversation now, then he's going to kick off. The shopkeeper, sorry, the shopkeeper might well end up kicking off as well. They're gonna think that I'm just um, whine, a whiny feminist mm. woman. This girl could probably turn around and be like, "You're not my mum. I know what I'm doing. I'm getting some vodka, and then I'm like, and then I'm fucking yeah. off. So don't like, I don't exactly need why. exactly. Yeah. And that's what would go through my head. And then I'd be going, and then so then actually for me it wouldn't have been fear. It would have been this sense of like. Oh, but I might end up being embarrassed. Yeah. So yeah. actually, like we, me and Mickey, we spoke about this before, and I think almost like talking about that situation means that mentally now I feel prepared for it, mm. and I feel like you are as well. Like yeah. now, if that that that's happened, that's going to happen to you. Um, like when you walk out today, you're going to go to the corner shop and buy your partner a chocolate bar again, and that that is going to replay itself. What do you do? Mm. I, yeah. I I mean, I would. I I was about to say I would step up. I hope I would. I'm not going to ever say I definitely would because I think that was proof that that's not true. Like that incident was proof that it's not true. But it's definitely like one of the reasons. The main reason I didn't say anything was because I was like, oh, it's probably not my place. Like I don't think I should say this because maybe she doesn't want me to. Like maybe. And yeah, like and you I don't would... know what kind of like like what kind of relationship. Well, obviously, they mustn't have much of a relationship. Yeah, yeah there's a the judgment remember. that you're making there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The judgment is. Um, horrible man, poor victim, yeah. disgusting shopkeeper yeah. who's condoning this. The Everyone, yeah. yeah. And it's also a thing of like, I could save her. And yes, that's, do you know what I mean? That's and that, that's an uncomfortable want. position yeah. to be in. It's like, how, why? Well, who am I? Man. Exactly. Like, who am I to say that I can save mm. this person um, by going, you're a dick? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. yeah. And when I, because the shopkeeper, when, when they walked out, um, and I did that kind of glowery brother thing that people do when I stood and looked at them until <laughs> until he went away and made them feel very uncomfortable. But uh, when I was buying my chocolate bar, actually purchasing it, I went to the shopkeeper while he was a dick. And the shopkeeper had looked really concerned at them. And then I realised that actually he was concerned because he just served a minor. And uh. he just, it like, I don't think that had even processed with him. So I was about to go on this, like, joining in with the shopkeeper, like, oh, what a dick that guy was. And then I was like, oh, you didn't, Oh, yeah. if you didn't process that, then maybe that was ah, and then you just go through all these mental like cartwheels where you're like, why you don't do them right? Why you don't do them right? Why you don't do them right? Horrible. Well, oh, man. um, we've hit we've hit time, guys. Really? Okay. We've hit time already. That went fast. It did go fast. That was good. Yeah. What have we spoken about today? Cupcakes, abortion, <laughs> um, breakups, breakups, sex workers, opera, um, and chocolate bars. Mm. Yeah. And now we've got our our intermediary song mm-hmm. which you could either listen to or go and get a cup of tea 
And then we've got the interview with Melina and Siobhan from Ooh, the Sex yeah. Workers Opera, which is extremely exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Incredibly exciting. It's a great interview. We recorded that one before we did this. We um, did. And it was great. So stay and listen. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, guys. Well, thank you. Get out of my way. Submit. Submit. 
So thank you very much to Andy and Lucy for running us through the feminist news. Um, I'm here with Melina and Siobhan, who are from the Sex Workers Opera. So do you guys just want to introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourselves, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so my name is Melina. I'm part of the cast of the Sex Workers Opera. Um, I'm a sex worker in London. Uh... <laughs> 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 and what about you, Siobhan? Um, I'm Siobhan Knox. Um, I co-direct and produce Sex Workers Opera with um, Alex Etchart. Um, and we run a company called Experimental Experience. We're putting on shows like Sex Workers Opera. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, and I'm Mickey Carroll. I was here last week, so obviously you all know my voice. Um, yeah, so first of all, can you start us off with what is the Sex Workers Opera? Um, yes, yeah. we can. <laughs> <laughs> the Sex Workers Opera is a uh, multimedia theatre show that has been created and performed by sex workers and allies, um, so friends of sex workers. Um, and it is telling the stories of local sex workers in London, like stories from our own community group, um, but also stories from across the world. Um, and yeah, it's positive stories, negative stories, complex stories, just like bringing all the aspects uh, of sex work together. We have um, we have uh, cam, uh, webcam um, shows like projected onto the screen of like webcam performers doing poetry and dancing and... Um, South American. South yeah. American, yeah. They have like stories from like... Uh, stories from street workers in um, Argentina and Chile. Um, and we have kind of... Like it's an all singing, dancing. It's kind of cabaret mm -hmm. uh, thing a little bit. Yeah, um, it's got it's got that vibe. It's very um, queer and beautiful, and uh, it's it doesn't have like a, a whole story. I mean, there is a the story of uh, a mother and a daughter that goes around the whole opera, mm -hmm. but it's very uh, very much about sketches. So okay. it's like storytelling, basically. Yeah. Um, also important to say is that we always say that the cast is, uh, the, not the cast, the, everyone mm -hmm. uh, in the opera, it's 50-50, so 50% sex workers and 50% alike. It's like um, this, right? Pretty much it's like, it's it's at least 50% yeah. sex workers. So it's like not really even the amount it is. Like um, we, and we never reveal like who is or isn't a sex worker unless someone is happy to be out Mom, as a sex yeah. worker. Yeah. Um, but we never reveal anyone to be an ally of the project. It's more like that is there so that um, people can feel safe performing mm -hmm. and it can provide a degree of safety yeah. anyway. But yeah, it's it's kind of got jazz and hip hop and opera and um, a nightclub scene. A nightclub scene, yeah, exactly. A strip, <laughs> a strip club scene. It's got like we've got all this new exciting set design stuff mm. that's coming up now, which we can't actually talk about yet because it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I mean, that does not sound like a traditional opera, but the Royal Opera House has endorsed you. Mm -hmm. So basically, the Royal Opera House. Um, 
are the Royal Opera House were doing a um, course called Write an Opera um, a couple of years ago, and it was an amazing course. Actually, it was like I think a really radical program because it was encouraging. Um, people to learn the skills to empower individuals to put on their own opera and write an opera from scratch like so people who maybe had never uh, sung before or written music before or created theatre before um, a lot of the people who were going on the program were primary school teachers um, who were sort of gonna create an opera in eight weeks with their with their primary school kids um, but like we went on the course and uh, nailed it. And you nailed, nailed it. Nailed That's it. what you yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a short course. It was. It was. It wasn't very long. But like the the a lot of the um, yeah a lot of the a lot of the things we learned from that went into our production of Sex Workers Opera. Definitely. And and it was amazing because the first opera that we did was uh, we did it in um, two days and a half. <laughs> <laughs> what wrote wrote the whole thing? Uh, yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> How? How do you do that? So, uh, Siobhan and Alex were really, really good. Uh, they basically got the people together and they made like this amazing bonding between all of us mm-hmm. where by the end of the day, the first day, we were all so connected. And this is so important because in, in theatre you kind of have to trust people because a lot of it um, was about improvisation too. So you kind of have to trust if something happens, that's you have an, an, a net, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, it was just it was just brilliant, and we were also nervous. And some of us have been uh, doing theatre or shows. Uh, we had uh, Miss Cairo, who is a, a professional burlesque dancer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they they were just amazing and very experienced. But there was also people who have never uh, done anything and. We were just all there, really together, and that's what I think is the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, um, sorry, okay. uh, yeah, like Alex, um, Alex and I run a theatre company. It's called Experimental Experience, um, and we, uh, like, our ethos as a theatre company is basically that, you know, first of all, art has a moral obligation to represent people in their own words and in their own terms, um, but it's also uh, like we, we really fiercely believe in like opening up um like think like theater and opera and the arts and kind of reclaiming that because so often it is only available to a very privileged few um and I don't know I think we're all bored of hearing those stories aren't we? we're all bored of hearing these old like rich old men telling their stories like right like Oh, all, well, not all operas, but a lot of operas are based on sex worker stories, mm-hmm. and they are so cliche, fetishized, and romanticized, yeah. and 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 dramatic, where everybody dies usually, <laughs> or at least a sex worker will. A sex die. worker always dies first. They must, <laughs> surely. <laughs> you know? Otherwise, how will we teach the lesson? Um, <laughs> So what's been the um, response? Because obviously, obviously there's a lot of kind of theatre coming out that's very much about real people's stories and kind of a, looking at current kind of affairs and that kind of stuff. Like, that's happening. But specifically for you guys, have people been as positive as you thought they'd be or as negative? Or um, We've had... We have had a really positive response, like mostly positive. I uh, think overwhelmingly, yeah, like yeah, <laughs> super positive. Super positive. <laughs> I mean, like I can't. Um, I, there's, I guess. 
in the last couple of runs of the of the show, we did our first our first one was two days, our next one was four days. They added an extra night because yes. we sold out. <laughs> we're all very yeah. pleased about we, that. We were coerced to do we one more night. We were coerced to do one more night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the first uh run where we are running for two weeks in May. Um and that's that's a whole next level for us because this really means that like we're performing in a bigger theatre. We're performing to a theatre that has a capacity of two hundred. Um, we're performing for two weeks. Um, so, while we have had a lot of really amazing press and we've had a lot of um, amazing responses, and people really have said that we've changed their minds or, or challenged their preconceptions of what it is to be a sex worker, um, this is so far there has definitely been an element of preaching to the converted, mm-hmm. I'd say. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, And it's also really important to put on shows that represent people and have the people in the community come along and be like, oh my God, you know, that could be my story on stage. You know, like That's really important, but we also do want to reach out to a broader audience mm-hmm. and, and like, make people come and listen to these stories because yeah, sex we, workers need to be heard. Right? We don't want just the people who already kind of understand a bit of sex work or our allies to come and see us. We want we want to challenge people. So mm-hmm. we want people to people who don't really understand or have like their minds kind of made up in some way to challenge themselves and come to the audience and see it and then, you know, take their conclusion mm-hmm. a bit. Exactly. Um, yeah. Was that a um not a concern, but was it that on your mind when I didn't know I didn't know if you'd already heard that this was a feminist podcast. But when I said <laughs> Oh, so Cat Call is a feminist podcast. I don't know if for you guys whether that would be in your mind is that there is like a, a huge group of feminists who for some unknown reason are knobheads about sex work. <laughs> yeah, just like apps, just not very nice. So mm-hmm. was, was that on your mind? Is that a, a thing, thinking about feminists and that kind of... Since that I started the opera and I came out as a sex worker, that I have been having a lot of fights uh, or discussions with feminist abolitionists uh, and it's really hard because I am a feminist I'm an intersectional feminist and uh, I, I I just it's very hard for me to compute how can um, feminists think that we are uh, degrading, degrading ourselves mm-hmm. or that we don't have agency or, or when they decide to take our agency away mm-hmm. I had so many People when I when I came out, even people who are close to me and friends, saying, "But how can you be a feminist doing sex work? Like, how can you do this? How can you do it? like you're objectifying yourself?" And at some point, I had to say, "Well, no, I'm not, because I'm taking a decision, and that takes the objectification out of me. It doesn't mean that people can't uh, objectify me. It still can happen, but it's not. It doesn't come from me. So I can't control people's minds, right? I can't control control what people think, but I can control myself or I can take agency from myself, my life, and my body. And, um, but this is, in terms of sex work rights, this is, it's, it's important, but also like this kind of empowerment um, that I feel it doesn't correspond to everyone mm-hmm. who does sex work. And this is really important also to uh, know and to understand because sex workers' rights is not about just empowerment, it's about human rights. Mm-hmm. And human rights is not always about empowerment. And in a capitalism and in a capitalist society, what is empowerment, right? Mm. It's true. And like I think that's something that we really try and show with the opera as well, because we really try and show um 
the fact that everyone's story, no matter what it is, is important because we're showing the human experience and um, that's what sex work is. It's one of the human experiences. Um, and we try and show that, like as Melina was saying, with the um, the story of the mother and the daughter. We have a mother who is a second wave feminist and an abolitionist um, coming to terms with the fact that her daughter is in the show and her daughter is a sex worker. And, um, and they're kind of weaving all the lines uh, between all the stories and their conversations uh, with each other. Um, and this, this whole sort of idea of, um, well, first of all, the mother and her daughter relationship, which is like very complex to begin with um but yeah what we really wanted to try and show with that storyline is this idea of we're not going to solve everything in a two-hour theater show right like you can't solve that um it's so complicated but what we want to do is start this idea of building bridges start this idea of i mean second wave feminists feminists weren't all you know awful people they did incredible (laughs) things like and a lot of the things that we can do now is in is because of them um but like there needs to be this act of listening and there needs to be like some sort of hand held out and it needs to be instead of just like everyone yelling at each other and not listening to each other mm-hmm. like we need to move forward and that's what we're trying to do with that storyline yeah. yeah. so um earlier Andy and Lucy were talking about kind of news that's been happening in the week with the feminist news and everything like that and Ooh, something's yes. um something's come up which uh, actually has been helpfully dis- displayed on the screen oh, in front friends. of us yeah. yeah so France have um, outlawed clients paying for sex thoughts um we we have been uh fighting against the nordic model um we've been even in the parliament uh a a year ago two years ago a year ago i think um and it's just it's just a very uh harmful uh law or model because criminalizing sex workers clients to do what 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 is the the main thing about it, like to take sex work, to stop sex work, uh, it's not going to happen, you know, like sex work is not going to suddenly disappear. And taking clients from sex workers means that it's going to create more poverty. Also, um, as which is actually a part of, of the opera where I talk uh, about, I compare like a tale between like a fisherman who... Uh, someone tells them to go to fish in an ocean where there is no fish. So it's basically it's th- the same thing. So if they take the clients away, what are the clients that we are going to have? Probably clients who are okay with breaking the law, which some of them are not even, I wouldn't consider them clients, but probably violent men, which is a, a big difference. Like clients of sex workers are clients, and then people who abuse sex workers are violent people mm-hmm. are not they're not clients it's another form of uh of 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 pushing everything underground and making everything less safe and i was reading um a uh i was reading playing the whore um mm-hmm. which is an amazing book uh by melissa jerry grant uh and uh, there was this part of it where she was talking about like yeah, violence towards sex workers and people who have committed violence towards sex workers say like saying things like, "Well, you know, uh, I, I I did it I did it because I knew that no one would report them. I knew mm. that no one cares about like these people." And this is it's so deeply entrenched in our society. Um, and to make it even more criminalized, to, to add this level of criminalization, to add this element of like people being scared to report things to the police, like being scared to to 
to be viewed as a human who is doing a job. Like, so does that mean that you're pro New Zealand model? Or yes, you, yeah, decrim. definitely. Decrim. Um, what? Why? Why are you pro that? Um, well, because it gives power to the sex workers to organize, create unions, um, working together. Uh, so we would be able to do the brothel keeping and to to you know have again agency on our work, our rates, our safety, our health. Um, we don't want government and laws to come to tell us how we should work because what do they know about it? Mm. What can they? What what kind of finger can they put on it if they know nothing? And what they know is just about what media keeps portraying mm. uh, in their documentaries and whatever mm. people. Yeah. So I've just realised I didn't think we I didn't explain that at all for anyone who is actually listening. Sure. Um, so uh, the Nordic model uh, it is. Uh, around in uh, various places just been introduced in France. So it would uh, mean that clients are criminalised for paying for sex. And um, the New Zealand model is much more just accept sex work as a profession. And it kind of has the, the sex workers would pay taxes, but would also get uh, regular visits from police, but safeguarding visits rather than kind of stop doing this visits, uh, health checks, everything like that. But it just treats it rather as a profession rather than a kind of a criminal bad activity that needs to be shut down. Um, which is obviously a really biased way of explaining the two models. But we're fine with that, so that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so how political does kind of rehearsals and everything like that get? I think they're also political. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the opera itself has kind of... An, uh, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, the opera itself is a platform for people's stories. So it doesn't like necessarily call itself political, you know, outwardly, even though I say this in every interview. So like sooner or later, people are going to start calling us <laughs> political. Um, but yeah, it, we, um, so we kind of can get past a lot of things with that because people are quite interested in, you know, art. They're like, oh, tell me about your art. And then you just tell them about what sex workers want and believe and 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 strive for, which you know, it's political. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've all met, like, everyone's just opening up and telling their stories and hearing about stories from all over the world. So um, I think one of the things that struck me was when we um, Skyped the Dominican migrant workers in, in Chile because uh, we were all there talking to them and uh, um, Alex is just translating and stuff. Mm -hmm. from, <laughs> um, and uh, we... What was amazing was they were telling us these stories from all the way across the world, and like some of them were from very different backgrounds to to us. Um, and but we all like everyone could understand the issues, and everyone was facing the same issues. It was facing issues from stigma and family and um, like violence coming from the police and uh, all these things, which we could all relate to. And we're like, oh. Common struggles, and we relate to it even in terms of like gender and queerness, queerness. and yeah, it's big. Because it, like one thing that abolitionists uh, say a lot is like, oh, you are talking from like this privileged position. You are just like a white woman uh, trying to g get through the university or something, which basically is, is not my case. I'm, I'm a white woman, yes, but I'm not trying to get through university. Not that I'm just, I'm just, that, yeah. I'm just doing sex work, and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have to justify myself. Mm. Um, but what people sometimes forget is that, okay, there is a privileged position here, true, but sex work is, is 
precarious as it is because we don't have we don't have rights. Um, we can't work together. Um, again, in terms of police, we suffer more from police violence than having the police on our side trying to work with us. Um, so yeah, it, it's still very precarious. And in terms of even um, money, it's like it's something that it's not, you know, it's, it's not like as a nine to five job that when you get to the end of the month or whenever you get paid and you have that amount of money and we don't have like a paid holidays or we don't have paid sick. So it has, we have to think about all these, these things and it comes all from, from us. So mm. in some ways, yes, we are very independent, but also not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm enjoying this far too much and I think I've just, uh, I've, I've honestly, I've let us run over, but <laughs> I still have, I still have more questions. So I'm going <laughs> to ask them. Um, <laughs> now just, uh, this is, um, just a fun one. Um, what is the most, uh, what's the funnest story from doing the opera? Oh my God, the funnest story. Well, so we have lots. There is a, <laughs> there is a really good scene, which is basically, uh, we based it on the new porn laws that have been introduced recently, where uh, really misogynistic, like, queerphobic, horrible porn laws where they basically like said that things like fisting, um, face-sitting, face sitting, squirting. squirting were banned. However, <laughs> you were still allowed to do like bukkake scenes and like things like male-centric ones. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, okay. So we did this kind of like right version of it where everyone was doing these different uh, porn scenes. We had like a group of lesbians like doing all these like, uh, yeah, like, and then we had uh, a group of kinky people and Melina was doing the sort of patriarchal sort of... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm a schoolgirl. Um, and and but we 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 played it out with the sort of Charleston, um, Charleston, oh, Charleston like poker music and like all these sort of clown because it's quite obviously going to be quite an explicit scene. So we kind of played through it by making it extremely clown like. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to do. It's yeah. like it kind of you see different reactions from people every night, don't you? Like Definitely. everyone laughs, obviously, but like. Do you ever see the people kind of head down, like I don't know what to do now? <laughs> yeah, Am yeah. I allowed to laugh or do yeah. I have to look appalled? Um, and I don't know what my mum thought. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really funny because like um, sometimes we have this we do we do interact with the public mm-hmm. um, and people get really. You know, like, straight in their chairs. Oh my god! Don't give me a lap dance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Oh no, no, no. Oh, I want it, but I don't know what to do. Oh wow. Um, okay. So finally, tell us when and where and how to buy the tickets. So, um, <laughs> it is on at the Pleasance Theatre in uh, Islington, uh, near a station that's Caledonian Road. Um, so, yeah, if you go to the Pleasance website and um, get tickets, they're all on sale now and we're selling pretty well, which is really good. Um, From the 17th of, of May until the 29th. Yes, exactly. Um, we have a little special um, uh, gala show as well. Yes. Which is like, which you can buy tickets for and get a free drink and... Stuff like that. And at the moment, we're also crowdfunding, which is really exciting. Um, yes. Because we are a very, very big uh, cast. Yes, so. there is a lot of us. We're like how, a West End-sized cast. Um, yeah. There is, oh my God, how many? We are at least 18, but more with 
with people with yeah we've got like a mini orchestra and a, a, of and course a cast. <laughs> why <laughs> so, wouldn't you have a so mini yeah we're, 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 we're quite huge so we're crowdfunding at the moment so if you want to go on Kickstarter and check out Six Workers Opera yes please then please help us get there that would be and, really and amazing and one pound is already quite awesome but one if pound it, or a hundred or a thousand or a thousand whatever or just donate all of it that would be great okay wicked well thank you so much for joining us thank, thank you. you thank I you for inviting us I hope to see you at the us. show yeah, absolutely <laughs> I, I'm actually I'm coming I'm coming yeah, with my good. partner it's very exciting amazing yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having us thank you